Welcome, everyone, to the 13th episode of the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast, the podcast on all things forecasting and geopolitics. This week is a very special episode because it is also the 15th volume of Metaculous Mondays, our series at Global Guessing, where we answer uh, forecasting questions of geopolitical importance from the community forecasting platform, Metaculous.com. In this week's volume of Metaculous Monday... We are going to be forecasting the most important geopolitical story of the past week and likely for this coming week, the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, As of right now, there are no questions on Metaculus.com about the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, which is why uh, in this week's volume we are going to be creating our own questions on Metaculus, seeking to gain a better insight and foresight into what's to come. Uh, in the Israel-Palestine question. Uh, So, Andrew, why don't you give us a breakdown of the questions that we're going to be forecasting today? Sure. So, we crafted six questions related to the conflict between Israel and Palestine uh, that we thought would allow us to have a better uh, understanding perspective of the conflict as it relates to uh, conflicts in past years between these two nations and also just in terms of how far this specific conflict has progressed already. Uh, Four of the questions are related to Palestinian deaths, and two of them are related to rockets launched at the IDF. Um, And we considered each of these six questions in terms of their significance in themselves and also how they relate to a potential ground invasion, um, which would signal a shift in the conflict, uh, sort of a bigger uptick, a bigger escalation. Um, So the first question uh, is, will more than 400 Palestinians uh, be killed in 2021 by the IDF? And that is a question that we think has significance because it would signal that fighting has continued from where it is right now at the time of recording, Um, but it would also uh, not really be relevant to a potential ground invasion. The second question, uh, you know, very similar, will more than a thousand Palestinians in 2021 be killed by the IDF? That question is significant because it would meet the generally uh, accepted definition of war, a thousand deaths. Um, and it would also mean that a grand invasion is likely. The next question is, will more than 2,500 Palestinians in 2021 be killed by the IDF? That would now signal um, and would be the most deadly conflict since 2008 between Palestine and Israel, and would also make a ground invasion highly likely. And then the last question related to Palestinian deaths uh, is, will more than 10,000 Palestinians be killed in 2021 by the IDF? And that would be now 10 times the threshold for the generally accepted criteria for war and would make ground invasion nearly certain. The last two questions are, will more than 4,500 rockets, mortars, and missiles be fired by Gaza uh, at the IDF at Israel in 2021? Um, And that would signal the most rockets fired in any given year uh, or conflict between these two countries. And then finally, will more than 10,000 rockets, mortars, and missiles be fired from Gaza at Israel in uh, in 2021? Um, And that's significant just because of the sheer number of rockets being launched uh, by Gaza, by Hamas, uh, especially relative to how much they've built up over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Um, So again, I think, you know, Clay mentioned this, but we could have you know, written a question about when will the conflict between Israel and Palestine be over or how many total deaths will there be on the Palestinian side by the end of 2021. But we think this approach of breaking down our forecast into you know, these various components 
uh, is really useful because we get a better idea of, uh, you know, the conflict from a bird's eye view. And it just helps to contextualize what's going on on the ground a bit more than um, some of those other question structures, which, you know, could be a bit reductive. Yeah, I really think the the, the big point for me in which I really push to have these uh, questions separated because we could just ask for a number of deaths is sort of understanding in terms of trying to understand the conflict. Um, and as we'll get to with our forecast, if it was just going to be a single number, I don't think you would actually gain a lot of information. What's useful about these sort of questions that we've structured them is that we think they actually reveal important things about the conflict. 400 Palestinian deaths, as Andrew said, would basically be another week of continued fighting or some sort of massive escalation happening. Either of those two things would be important developments. A thousand would make it count as war, 2,500 the deadliest. It's just breaking up the conflict into will it hit these certain milestones that we feel are geopolitically important. Uh, originally, we were just going to forecast the Palestinian death side um, of the questions, but we added the the rockets, mortars, and missiles question to get sort of the conflict from the from the Israeli side and trying to understand the metrics that would sort of more matter for their side, given that um, the 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 casualty rate on uh, the Israeli side in any of the Israel Palestine conflicts tends to be very low, um, and given that um, there have been some reports saying that. Um, part of um, this conflict is um, testing the um, Iron Dome system in Israel to see um, how many missiles it could withstand for a potential multi-front war against Israel. Um, the amount of rockets being fired at it will therefore be to what extent will they test it. And so we find that uh, by breaking down the questions these way, we just were able to get much more um, actionable insights um, in terms of where the conflict is heading um, in the uh, short term, which we thought was important. Yeah. Um, so I guess now we can sort of go into some of the research that we did, um, you know, when we started to first think about these questions, uh, you know, some of the considerations that, that we were making and also, Clay, I know you worked a lot on this also, um, but the base rates that we wanted to use for this question as sort of a starting point for the forecast. So I don't know if you want to talk about the base rates first and then we can build off of that. Yeah, so um, we went into this trying to just understand the conflict. Um, and so where we started off was um, we quickly settled on the Palestinian death being one of the forecasting questions. So to try to figure out the base rate, we looked at what data is there in terms of how many Palestinians have died in any given year um, by the IDF. And we found this UN data set, which broke down um, the information. Um, but the thing is, we didn't just want to take uh, an average of the last 13 years and get a base rate or the last 12 years. We wouldn't take 2021 in our base rate um, and have that as our base rate. We wanted to sort of understand, um, is this conflict different? And therefore, should that inform our base rates? So what we decided to do is analyze um, the deaths in every single individual year. And so we first focused on all the high casualty years. And if you look at 2008, um, there was basically a massive spike in terms of fatalities in a given month, December. Um, not a lot of fatalities, and then a massive spike up uh, to the large amount. You see this uh, as well in 2014. Uh, with July and August making up over 90% of all the fatalities in that year. Um, and you also saw that 
in 2012, um, which again, all of these have their own Wikipedia page. It's the 2008-2009 Gaza War, uh, the 2012 operation in the Gaza Strip, and the 2014 Gaza War. These are what all of the data was pointing at for the base rate. And if you go back and you look at the 2021 data, it looks like it's sort of fitting in with that pattern. Um, not a lot of fatalities going on until a massive increase that happened in May once all the fighting broke out. And it's particularly distinct from a year such as 2018, which saw 299 fatalities, which is more... Um, as of right now, than there's been in 2021, but they're much more distributed. It was fighting that happened throughout the entire year. The same thing is true in 2019, where, again, the fatalities are more spread out. And so just looking at the base rates, it seemed like 2008, 2009, that conflict, 2012 and 2014 would serve as the best base rates for understanding what's happening um, now in terms of the conflict. Uh, the next piece we looked at was rockets being fired by Palestine, looking at the base rate for the other um, forecast and see forecasting question and see if that um, also backed up what we were seeing in terms of the deaths. Uh, as you guys, if you're watching uh, the podcast on YouTube, you can see that given the amount of uh, rockets, mortars and missile attacks against Israel by year, the ones that are standing out with 2021 are 2014 with about 3,000 rockets to 4,000 rockets, 2012 with about 2,000 rockets fired, and 2008, 2009, which is around 4,000 rockets. Um, again, all the other years are just, they don't seem to be comparable for the base rate. So we felt comfortable analyzing the situation um, using the 2008, 2012, and 2014 as our base rate cases. Yeah, that was a great overview. Um, and I think the base rates were especially useful in this forecast because, um, you know, when we tried to use the outside view and look at some other sources to try and understand what was going on, um, we found it to be pretty difficult. You know, I think a big problem was that a lot of the sources that we found were potentially biased one way or the other. You know, we were either reading, um, you know, news outlets that were based out of Israel, or we were reading a lot of the mainstream sort of Western news sources, which tend to have a, a pro-Palestinian bent to them. And so trying to identify the signals versus the noise was uh, pretty tricky. Um, yeah, if you look now, here's a really good flourish visualization of um, you know some of the stats that we're looking at to, to, to build our foundation for this forecast. Yeah, and, and just looking at it again just shows how similar this is to the base rate, right? 2014, nothing, massive spike up, and you see that here with the 2001 uh, data for the deaths, again, super low, massive spike, and the same thing for the rockets. No rockets being fired, and then um, a ton of them were being done. Um, so then once we sort of viewed it under the context of 2008, 2009, 2012, and 2014, um, we sort of went in and examined those conflicts as, as, as best we could in a, a reasonable period of time. Uh, and what stood out is that within that own sort of collection of base rates between um, these sudden spikes you know, 
with with uh, massively uh, intensive conflict is that um, you had 2012, which was just airstrikes by Israel into Gaza. And then 2008, 2009, and 2014, that was airstrikes followed by a ground invasion one to two weeks after the airstrikes. And so that presented us with trying to understand where this conflict is going is, are we dealing with the 2012 where we'll see mostly just repeated airstrikes, which would therefore make it much more difficult for the to have a positive resolution on the 2,500 deaths or the 10,000 deaths for the Palestinians, um, or if a grand invasion is likely, which would therefore dramatically increase the likelihood um, of those outcomes. Yep. And then I think also part of the calculus there was trying to think about, you know, within that progression of, of the conflict and potentially getting to, you know, a ground invasion and the deaths piling up, you know, where in that progression is there potentially a ceasefire? And then if there is a ceasefire, um, how long does it actually last? And does it actually mean that we're not going to reach some of those death numbers? Um, you know, I think at first we were seeing a ceasefire somewhat deterministic. Um, but then realizing that, you know, ceasefires end pretty quickly. I think if you look at Afghanistan, there was a three-day ceasefire with the Taliban and then fighting resumed. So, you know, clearly, um, you know, these things are very, very temporary at times. And I believe in 2000, uh, in one of the past uh, reference cases, 2008, 2012, 2014, um, there was sort of start-stop, start-stop, um, start-stop, uh, ceasefires that were done and mm-hmm. so even if a ceasefire is being discussed right now um as we're forecasting the question we can't just take that as a given um but nor can we take a ground invasion as a given um right either right uh so i think that explains the base rates pretty well um when it came to the base rates um i think this is also a useful place where we now should talk about the resolution criteria um because we have identified right the thresholds for it, but how are we going to verify that that is the case? Um, and so what we're planning on doing is using the sources we use to calculate our base rates. So when it comes to the fatality question, we will be using the UN data available at ochaopt.org, which is the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs for the Occupied Palestinian Territory succinct name i should give yes, the un that official. um so for that for the for the palestinian fatalities it'll be data from that website and then when it comes to the rockets fired we use two different sources when we we're calculating our base rates one was the jewish virtual library and the other was Wiki- wikipedia um it's very difficult to find places that have um years of data for 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 for, uh the amount of rockets fired at israel um and so what we're planning on doing is if both of them report over um the threshold then the question will resolve positively but if only one of them resolves positively then if the gap is greater than 500 um between the two and only one of them crosses the threshold, and the question would resolve uh, ambiguously. Um, and we think that's fair. We are open to to, to changing um, how we construct the resolution criteria and where to find the sources to back up um, the the forecasts. I I think there's 
there's obviously flaws with the sources that we've chosen, but given our research, I think it's sort of the best imperfect solution that we can have. Um, yeah, we're also open to feedback about, you know, once you get into talking about the different signals that we've been looking at and, you know, how we've uh, sort of come to the eventual forecast that we're going to talk about, definitely open to, um, you know, if people have other suggestions of places to look or things to focus on. Great. So now with the base rates and the resolution and the questions out of the way, let's start talking about how we actually forecasted this question. And I think the first way in which we viewed this conflict was trying to figure out the duration of the conflict. How, lo how long do we think this conflict is likely to continue? Um, given that um, the other question was how likely a ground invasion was going to be. But uh, given that we currently have uh, an average death rate uh, of the conflict, which is 26 since the fighting started on May the 10th, um, we could extrapolate that out. Um, and then given a, a given time period, that would affect all of our questions. And so, Andrew, I was wondering how um, how you sort of viewed the, the, the time question, how long this conflict was going to continue for. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, one piece that we talked about already was the ceasefire. That was pretty, um, that was definitely at the fore of my mind when I was thinking about duration, uh, because it seems like, you know, since very early in the conflict, there's been a lot of talk, uh, you know, whether it be the US or the UN or China um, about a potential ceasefire. You know, obviously the US has been somewhat of an obstructionist in getting that ceasefire across, at least from the UN. I think they've blocked uh, UN statements at least a few times now, um, calling for a ceasefire and condemning uh, Israel's actions against the Palestinians. Um, but so the ceasefire was a big one for me. Um, and then also just trying to think about uh, what the international appetite is for conflict right now. So I think a, a weekend, a little bit over a weekend to the conflict and we have, I think, what's the count, 225 deaths now um, on, on the Palestinian side? Uh, for, for, for the year around there, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So like trying to think about that number and then extrapolating that out over, you know, another couple weeks, let's say conflict continues to escalate, which seems to be the direction it's been going in. Um, you know, and just trying to think about what those numbers look like. And, uh, you know, if people are already talking about a ceasefire at the current levels of violence and deaths, you know, how that behavior might change or might escalate proportionately as well. Um, so I think, you know, those were some of the things I was thinking about. Um, of course, it's really tough to tell because if you look at Biden's, you know, stance towards Israel during this conflict, it's, you know, he's talked about ceasefires, but he's also been you know, supportive um, of Israel in some of his statements, uh, passed in some statements, he's received some backlash. So not making any sort of value judgment on his behavior, but just thinking about, you know, how he also might not be uh, terribly eager to, to step in anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I was definitely thinking about those things. Um, I think, you know, we'll talk about the actual forecast when we get there. I think that's sort of reflected in, um, in my forecast, at least about the deaths, how that's going to progress over the coming weeks. But um, those are some of, the, some of the top things in my mind. I don't know if you had other uh, considerations you're thinking about. Yeah, I think looking at the Biden response, I think is very important in terms of um, duration. I, I, I don't think it's the most important. I think we'll get to that in a second. But um, 
the U.S. went out of their way to say that Biden's statement was saying that he ex- that he expressed support for a ceasefire, not that he was pushing for a ceasefire, not that he was urging Israel to do a, a ceasefire, but that he expressed his support for a ceasefire and still reiterated his um, stance that Israel has the right to to defend themselves. And I can't remember the the, the rest of the full quote, but. Um, in some respects, yes, it's it's making the ceasefire more likely. But on the other hand, it's it's still very far away from urging Israel to to go into a ceasefire. Um, I yeah. think what was um, illuminative was the 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 questions coming out of actually the IDF and Netanyahu uh, themselves, because ultimately they are um, the them and Hamas really are the ones that have the most say over how this conflict ends. Hamas in terms of rockets and Israel in terms of airstrikes and potential invasion. And so if you look at, you know, questions, uh, statements from from the IDF and Netanyahu, we know that this will go on at least uh, through Wednesday. Um, and Hamas um, seems at least committed to go through to Wednesday as well. Um after holding off on rockets, as we're recording uh, right now on Monday night, uh, they just launched a, a whole new barrage of, of of missiles at Israel and claim responsibility. So um, that's not to say that Wednesday, you know, minds won't change, um, but they're both still committed, at least still playing out the conflict until Wednesday. And so I already viewed that as, you know, we're we're going to likely get through half of the week already. And to hit the 400 criteria, um, it only has to be a week more at, at, at the current casualty rate. And so um, I think it'll, I mean, it, I'm, I'm interested to see like what the IDF continues to say and, and, and Netanyahu continues to say and what the political response in Israel uh, is going to be. Because I think that uh, is going to be um, a big constraint is domestic political opinion, Um yeah, that's something I was going to bring up also. You know, we read that BBC article that was talking about how, you know, you can sort of view the, the flare-ups between Israel and Palestine, um, at least once they begin, as sort of crescendoing up into a point at which Israel, um, you know, either can't or doesn't want to uh, withstand sort of the negative public backlash from the international community, and then conflict dies down and it might go back to being somewhat of a frozen or, um, you know, just sort of dormant conflict until it flares up again. Uh, and I think those sort of political constraints have a lot to do with that, um, that, that observation, you know, that there is some threshold at which Netanyahu or Israel, um, you know, has to succumb to some of those pressures, whether it be domestic or foreign. Um, and then, you know, that will probably signal a dying down of the conflict. But with asymmetric information, not knowing what Netanyahu is thinking right now, especially with the domestic political situation in Israel, it's tough to know when that, um, where, like, where that threshold is, um, you know, and if, if he even feels it's there with the Biden administration, I don't know. So um, yeah, it makes it sort of tough to, tough to judge. Um, but I guess that we would feel that we thought continuing through this week was not, I mean, likelier than not, but not necessarily guaranteed that a, a ceasefire is is potential this week. Um, mm-hmm. There was reporting in the Times of Israel that um, an, a, a source in the Egyptian uh, 
uh, diplomat um, said that um, uh, a, a ceasefire was coming at two days maximum, which contradicts the IDF general saying that uh, the operation will continue for at least two days, so make of which makes it um, a difficult signal to place. But I, um, there's also that side. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, and then I think um, when it came to sort of viewing the ground invasion side of things, it's trying to understand like why Israel would do a ground invasion, and in the past it was to um, attack the tunnels that uh, Hamas uses. Um, but it seems Israel now has the technology to attack those tunnels from the air and using airstrikes. Uh, and so I think that sort of reduces likelihood of a ground invasion because that is extremely risky um, and much more deadly for, 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 for both sides. Um, and I don't think Netanyahu wants to risk that politically. Uh, I think right now he can spin what he's done, no, no value judgment, as, as a win whereas a ground invasion opens them up to, to losing as uh, more is, is Israeli soldiers die. Whereas if he can keep it in the air and just target the tunnels uh, and Hamas's military infrastructure, then I don't think the, the benefits of a potential military invasion outweigh the costs. Yeah, I think Netanyahu's in a pretty precarious political situation also because, you know, a lot of the... Um, sort of settlement operations, which, you know, contributed to the spark of this conflict uh, a week or two ago, I assume have sort of been stopped now, uh, put on hold because of the conflict. And so, um, you know, I'm sure he also has some incentive to, you know, end the conflict or get it back to a stable place so that he can continue doing, you know, what he was trying to do for Israel, um, you know, before the conflict. So again, yeah, you know, a ground invasion would not be in his best interest, um, you know, just only to protract the conflict further. But, uh, but yeah, I'll be very interested to see what happens over the next week, um, especially because, as you said, it's tough to identify signals, but there's been a lot of talk about a lot of different agreements and ceasefires and a lot of countries involved. So curious to see what actually comes of it, if anything, or if it's all just, uh, just noise. Yeah, um, there was this interesting analysis in um, the Times of Israel that um, says that the IDF believes it significantly hurt Hamas, and that's the best it can do for now. Um, I think the important takeaway that I took from this article is that Israel has sort of used um, the the recent rocket barrage by Hamas as a justification to uh, implement a military plan that they've had for a while. Um, and it would seem, and this comes from I be, I, the, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I believe, Milley, said that um, he thinks that the fighting should stop in Israel because um, the risk of destabilization um, in the region. And I think if Israel is implementing a plan, their plan is to destroy any military infrastructure that Hamas has rebuilt since uh, both 2014 and, and, and more recently. Um, and so if they accomplish that, then I think that they, it would be wise for them to stop, which I think is that analysis sort of opened me up towards, um, the likelihood this is a, a shorter duration, uh, campaign and thus the higher questions have a lower likelihood that if this is a implement the military plan, then they have withdrawal criteria, most likely 
already thought of in advance. Um, and so it could be that they are close to reaching the amount of military targets that they want to take out, um, which would then signal get out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And also, you know, we talked about this offline briefly, but, you know, it's also tricky for the U.S. because, you know, the U.S. is pro-Israel. And so I think, um, you know, if if they think that that's Israel's plan is to, you know, they have some internal number of, you know, bases or, or militants of Hamas that they want to, um, you know, terminate before the end of the conflict and they want to support them in that endeavor. Um, but at the same time, I think Hamas, you know, although it is a terrorist group, it does provide some stability to, you know, some parts of Palestine in terms of providing social services and jobs and, um, you know, supporting local economies where they're being, um, you know, choked a bit. And so does that now create some more power vacuum in the region, which allows, you know, some of the other non-state actors that have um, fallen by the wayside in, you know, the recent years, and especially under the Trump regime to gain a foothold again in the region, um, possibly maybe it's an acceptable, you know, sort of loss of territory because Israel's still there and strong and so they can sort of defend against, um, you know, the potential threat. But I think, uh, you know, just the geopolitics of non-state actors in that region is gonna be interesting. Um, you know, to watch over the next few months, even uh, for sure. Yeah, and um, I had another thing to say on that, and I completely lost my mind. I uh, I forgot it. That's all right. Um, we can go into some of the uh, research and considerations behind uh, the rocket launches now as well. Um, I know we were trying to get pretty creative when it came to signals. Uh, I was looking at stock prices of various, you know, US-based public military companies to try and see if there was any movement in their stock. Um, I did find an interesting, um, let me actually pull it up so I can uh, speak more credibly about it, but um, Raytheon, which is one of the biggest, you know, US-based public military companies, um, their stock has actually gone up if you look at their five day from from may 12th to today um with a decent looking chart decent looking technicals and i i think it's on the back of you know i shared with you the same company that built the iron dome for israel uh, is partnering with raytheon to build uh, an iron dome in the us uh, at least it was reported by a couple sources in august of 2020 and so um you know potentially this is a a bit of a show and tell, a bit of a demonstration of what, you know, Raphael's Iron Dome can do and the potential it has for other countries. Um, so, you know, after this conflict, maybe we see it come to the US, maybe we see it come to some other US allies, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't really a great signal for this for this forecast. Um, I don't know if, you, if there were certain things you were looking at. Uh, I was just know, looking at the, the rate of rate. rockets. Yeah, for me, it was just looking at the base rates and how quickly, um, the rocket the number of rockets fired quickly was reaching the upper tiers um of the historical base of of, of the historical data whereas the whereas the fatalities was was clearly lagging um which means that there's just a lot more rockets being fired right now which is backed up by um you know evidence of uh iranian backing and uh, uh, iranian technology um and just you know the the ability that they've had to build up a stockpile recently, because uh, there was very f few, if any, attacks in two thousand in twenty twenty because of the pandemic, um, which let them you know stockpile 
munitions, it seems. Uh, and I think it was Ross on uh, the This Week in Geopolitics podcast that we do who said that now they are also firing some dummy rockets as well um, to waste money from the Iron Dome. And so um, that could also be inflating the number of rockets that are being fired. And so to me, it just seemed like the rockets were more likely to resolve positively. Those questions were more likely to resolve positively than the fatality question, just given the sheer volume that's been fired in such a short, I mean, in one week, uh, 3,100 rockets. Whereas between 2008 and 2009, during the Gaza war that involved, that was involving a ground invasion was 4,000 total. Um, 2014, that was a seven week conflict. And that was between 3,000 and 4,000 rockets fired. One week, uh, 3,100. I took that as a very sort of strong signal that, you know, this, this case that we've identified in this basket of base rates is already sort of blowing them out of proportion in terms of rate of rockets. And I think what that tells me is that this is becoming a full-blown proxy war, you know, and when you have a proxy war, um, I think you can see some of those numbers balloon because you have support and resources that are exogenous to the actual conflict itself. Um, and I think, you know, Iran has a lot of reason to be uh, frustrated or to be, um, you know, involved. You know, America killed one of their uh, commander leaders last year in a drone strike. Um, under the Trump administration, you know, Israel is uh, in constant conflict with, with Iran and with Iranian interests in Syria. So I think um, this may be, and I think we talked about this with Ross also in terms of the future of the conflict, but this may be um, diagnostic indicative of other actors getting involved and getting involved for a while and this conflict going on for a while. Um, you know, if Iran is behind them, then does that also mean that China might be, you know, get involved or Russia might get involved. Uh, if the US is supporting Israel, does that mean that some of the US's allies might get involved? Um, you know, where does Saudi Arabia sit in this issue? They were recently in talks with Saudi Arabia or with uh, Iran, as we talked with Ross about on on the This Week in Geopolitics podcast. So, um, you know, another consideration to duration um, is the, the influence, the involvement of these foreign actors. Um, I think, as you pointed out, there are some getting involved already, and that might spell uh, bad news. And then um, changing gear just a little bit from rockets just to the overall sort of approach to this, this question, and something that I think we actually forgot about is that we are currently experiencing an increase in fighting, um, a huge flare-up. And we're talking about the possibility that there will be a ceasefire in the short or or medium term. Um, what if that happened? Even if that happens, though, that's not to say that fighting won't re-break out um, by the end of the year, given that we are only in May and we still have six and a half months left in the year. Uh, and in fact, in 2008, 2009, I was just noticing this on the Wikipedia article, but there was a six-month ceasefire in between uh, that fighting, and so there's precedent for there being a, a week uh, for a ceasefire that is enacted uh, that then 
falls through. And then actually, if you were to look at the 2008 case, that's actually when the massive spike um, in deaths happened was post um, post the ceasefire breaking down. And so I think we have to, in our forecast, consider the chance that if there is a ceasefire, that there's still some other likelihood that fighting actually re-breaks out and re-intensifies by the end of the year. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I think in my view, you know, the chances of that happening again are probably less likely than they were the first time, just because I would hope that there's some learning being done on the part of, you know, the different diplomatic actors that are involved in this conflict. Uh, but yeah, ceasefires, as we mentioned at the top of the show, are definitely not permanent by any means. And, um, you know, potentially negotiations could go poorly during a ceasefire that lead to you know, even more intense flare-ups after the ceasefire, as you mentioned. So, um, yeah, definitely curious to see, you know, if ceasefire talks are, do actually happen, do come to fruition, like how how they go, um, who the brokers are, who the negotiators are. Um, I think that's all going to be really important to finding out how this actually ends up. Right. And now I think let's... Uh switch to some questions and get to the forecasting. How does that sound? I think that's a great idea. We've kept them in suspense long enough. Yes, and we will re-summarize our thinking when we go through each of these forecasts. So the first question asks us, will more than 400 Palestinians in 2021 be killed by the IDF? Um, again, Given our information, we're currently around 225. Um, this data here is a little bit um, lagged and missing. I have 208, but it's really 225. Um, and in the first week of conflict, there was 212 deaths. Um, so this would indicate that fighting uh, is basically going to be the same this week as it was last week, or there'll be a massive spike uh, in fighting this week that we did not see in uh, in last week. And so, uh, Andrew, do you want to talk about uh, our forecast for this question? Sure. So I can go through <clears throat> the way that we went through it. Um, you know, Clay and I both thought independently about um, our own sort of internal views on this forecast. And then we um, did a bit of a bit of averaging amongst our highs and lows. And we came to, at least for that first question, a 55% likelihood that, you know, there will be 400 Palestinian deaths. Um, and as Clay mentioned, that the rate of violence from last week will carry over into this week uh, in this conflict. Um, and so again, just going back to you know, some of what that means. Um, you know, it means that we think fighting is going to continue for the near future. Um, you know, at least for the next week at the same rate, it may even pick up. Uh, but again, it's not um, indicative necessarily of, of a ground invasion, which we've said is a, a very big shift in the conflict. And I, I think the 55 is reflected in right now, there's a just uncertainty in terms of whether or not the ceasefire will hold, um, or I mean, well, whether it will materialize or not, um, and whether or not Israel will stop the airstrikes. And uh, I know we agreed on fifty-five percent. I think that we should increase it to to sixty percent for two reasons. One, I think we're being a little bit bearish on it, just given that you know at least Monday and Tuesday of this week, 
um, that the airstrikes uh, are seeming to be just as vigorous as they were um, last week. And Andrew, I think you brought up this point privately over the weekend, but that um, if a ceasefire was going to happen, that Israel would would start to taper off the attacks, that the intensity would sort of die down in the buildup to a ceasefire. And because we're not seeing that, I think um, we should bump this one up. Uh, and plus the risk and 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 the chance that there is a ceasefire, but then fighting breaks out again uh, during the year. So I think we should bump this at least to sixty, maybe like sixty-two. Sure. And again, um, you know, even more so than other forecasts that we've made, I think we're going to be updating this forecast uh, pretty frequently, just because of the you know multitude of updates coming out every day relevant to the conflict. So now we move on to question two, which is, will more than 1,000 Palestinians uh, be killed by the IDF in 2021? Uh, This is a particularly significant milestone because this is what most data sets and what most um, places consider to be the threshold for a war. And so this would therefore be the third um, Gaza uh, war in that case, Uh, 2008, 2014, now uh, 2021, which in terms of years between, I guess, what, that's four years and then seven years? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, do you want to break down this forecast? Sure. So for this forecast, um, we forecast that there would be a, a 31% likelihood uh, that a thousand Palestinians are killed in 2021 as a result of this conflict. Um, again, meeting the generally accepted definition of war and also uh, based on you know the historicals making a ground invasion likely um, and so this is you know pretty significant because if a ground invasion does happen uh, I think it also you know raises the likelihood of some of the higher uh, benchmarks of deaths being met um, and also just is going to heighten uh, the level of action required to put this uh, conflict back into a place of dormancy um, because a ground invasion is a big a big uh, sort of commitment of resources um, and a Huge big commitment of intent uh, from, yeah, Israeli leadership. And, uh, you know, a, a ground invasion risks the chance that, um, you know, Israel then has to be directly responsible for Gaza uh, again, which, you know, after 2005, they, they left to sort of stop doing that. And so that would just be a, a massive shift in terms of the situation um, in the Middle East that would almost certainly have geopolitical consequences um, that reverberate quite far. Um, So yeah, 31% likelihood, half the likelihood that it hits 400. Um, Question three, 2,500 Palestinian deaths by the IDF in 2021 is an important milestone because that would make it the deadliest conflict um, on record since and including 2008. Um, including any year or any conflict. So the 2008-2009 war all in one was 2238, I believe. Um, So 2500 would be more than that, making it the deadliest conflict in recent memory. Andrew, the forecast? Yep. For this question, we forecasted uh, that there's an 18% chance that 2500 Palestinians would be killed by the IDF in 2021. and again, just going back to the likelihood of ground invasion as a result of these forecasts, um, you know, we see 18% as making a ground invasion highly likely. Um, so, yeah. 
And then the final one is, will more than 10,000 Palestinians uh, be killed in 2021? And this question is important just because of the magnitude that it would indicate of the conflict. Um, you know, 10,000, that, that's 10xing um, from 1,000. If, if you've read um, Steven Pinker's um, The Better Angels of Our Nature um, and some other books such as Only the Dead, um, they talk about the power law distribution of war, which means it's you're just the likelihood that you increase from a thousand uh, deaths to ten thousand deaths is the same as ten thousand to a hundred thousand, same as a hundred thousand to a million. And so, in theory, the likelihood that more than ten thousand Palestinian deaths um, should be half of should be thirty one percent times thirty one percent. Did we end up reaching that? Andrew in our forecast? Uh, we can check that really quickly right now. Um, well, what is our forecast? Our forecast for this question is 11% uh, likelihood of reaching that 10,000 death threshold. 31% um, times 31% would come out to you. Yeah. 9.6%. So we're a little bit more bullish, and I think that's because of our adjustment for the chance that conflict breaks out but still that's that's pretty good that our forecast that we did without actually considering the power law distribution lined up with what that law says uh, and now we move on to our last two forecasts this has to do with the amount of rockets mortars and missiles will be fired from gaza at israel in 2021 4500 is an important number because again that would uh be more than anything in the last um uh, 13 years uh, 2014 currently has the maximum on wikipedia uh, at 4,000 rockets fired so andrew what was our forecast for this question yeah forecast for this question was uh, 71 percent for the 71 percent chance that 4,500 rockets mortars and missiles will be fired uh this year and i think um you know only a week into the conflict I think there had an article that was published on um, Saturday. We're recording this on a Monday, um, you know, saying that since the prior Monday, you know, Hamas had already fired 2,000 rockets. So this is saying, you know, that in the next week, um, you know, if violence only picks up by 25% from the Palestinian side, then you'll reach that that milestone in a week. And, it's, you know, given the time horizon, I think um, a 71%, you know, pretty likely odds is is fitting for this question do you think that's a, then a little bit too conservative i mean i guess it's tied into this a little bit but the 4500 rockets would be reached faster than the 400 palestinians if we were just to take the rates that happened last week um yes that's true um i don't know i think I personally have to do some more research into the actual reserves of rockets that the Palestinians have. I think they, I read somewhere that they have around around thirty thousand um, that they sort of been like building way. up. Well, it might be more, um, especially if they have Iranian support. Um, so maybe they're somewhat indiscriminate about firing these rockets, and we'll see a lot more next week. And seventy-one is conservative, so I wouldn't mind, you know, bu bumping it up a bit. Um, but I have to do more research on, on the reserves. To, to It'd be 430 a day that happened last week. 
And so say that I think right now we're on our tracker, we're at 3,300. So that would only be two, that's three more days of the current rate of rockets and we hit it. Um, but 71% is, is also high, right? As, as we get up um, in our forecasts, every additional percentage um, weighs a lot more in terms of, you know, betting odds and all of that. So it is. To... And also I'm thinking about, you know, we've talked about this, but like when Hamas fires, let's say 300 rockets and half of them get intercepted by the Iron Dome, but then Israel responds and levels buildings, you know, I feel like the cost for Palestine to continue uh, firing these rockets is much higher than for Israel. So, you know, at what point does it not make sense to continue firing rockets? Um, I don't know. I don't know how many, you know, what death threshold Palestine has for itself, you know, where it's going to stop, um, it's going to stop the conflict. So, you know, I'm curious about would they stop before they reach that threshold just because of the damages being done to Palestine? Things are getting pretty bad. Yeah, uh, I think we should definitely reflect on it. I wouldn't be surprised if we increase this to 75 or even mm -hmm. 80 um, in short order. But I think 71 just as of right now, I think right is now. useful just yeah. because we don't want to go. We don't want to like get into a cycle of overconfidence with this forecast before we even made it. I'd rather even start off conservative and then just, you know, update um, as we go along. You always update. You should always update. Yep, makes you makes you a much better forecast. Uh, friend of the show, Pavel Atanasov, has a paper all about that. Um, and now for the final question of this week's volume of Metaculous Mondays: Will more than ten thousand rockets, mortars, and missiles be fired from Gaza at Israel by January one, twenty twenty two? Look at look at that. Just just can't can't get these years right. If if you are watching the YouTube video, you've been seeing. Fake nothing. news for a while. Um, Andrew, what is our forecast for this question? Yeah, forecast for this question was 35%, um, you know, chance that the 10,000 rockets get fired. Um, you know, it's funny if you think about, you know, if let's say they actually do have 30,000 rockets and they fire 10,000, it's about a third of their uh, supply. I'm not saying there's a third of the chance, but we have to get another count on those on those rocket numbers. Right, well, someone's showing off their math skills right there. No need to, hey, no need to bust out those right here. now. All right. I know. I know. And uh, I think it's also good that if you look at the the decreases in the likelihood, right, four hundred Palestinian deaths to a thousand, sixty-two to thirty-one percent likelihood. Forty-five hundred rockets, ten thousand rockets is seventy-one to thirty-five. Roughly the same um, relative decrease between those between those two question sets if that makes sense and so i think that indicates that you know we reached these forecasts independently and we did them before recording this, this podcast surprise um and we we only sort of realize these patterns now so i think we did a good job on these forecasts uh, especially because it's such a noisy question just in terms of the information in terms of processing signals there are so many signals and so many interested parties in terms of you know, getting their signal across to hopefully become the narrative and then maybe use that to win international support um, to maybe make that a, a reality just makes this a very complicated question. So 
um, any sort of signals that you guys are aware of, please reach out to us in our comment section on Metaculous where these questions will be on social media. Let us know um, if we've missed signals, if we've missed something in our base rate analysis um, or the understanding of this conflict. Um, and what we're re really interested in is if you are aware of um, high quality Twitter sources that are um, tracking um, disinvolvement. And we'd like um, ideally Twitter Twitter sources on both sides, like viewing it from from both sides, one that's um, sort of tracking the Israeli I IDF moves and the other one that is tracking uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad's moves, um, who we haven't talked about, but is also the other relevant actor um, in this. It's both Hamas and uh, Islamic Jihad. Um, I think their name makes a fair number of what they do fairly self-explanatory. Um, uh, what dude spoiler alert um and 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 the idf um andrew what are things that sort of moving forward that you'll be watching for in this conflict yeah i mean as we mentioned it's becoming somewhat of a, a proxy war which isn't surprising just given how long it's been going on um so i'll definitely be watching to see what other countries are involved and how involved they are because it may become the case that you know if iran is getting really hands-on in palestine that they might be um, you know, relevant to the actual talks of a ceasefire, you know, the outcome of this conflict. So um, I think the foreign intervention piece is going to be really important. And then also, as you said, uh, I think what Biden says and what Netanyahu say in, in the coming weeks are going to be really uh, important as well, just to get an understanding of, um, you know, the Israel side of this conflict, because I think ultimately, you know, a ceasefire, the future of this conflict is very much predicated on on what Israel wants and in turn what the U.S. wants. Um, and so I think, you know, what, what, what they say and what they do is going to be key. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of Hamas and, and, and the Israeli sides are saying. If they're, right, we, we had, it, it'll last at least two days. Uh, tomorrow and the next day, does Israel then say it's at least two more days? Or are they saying it's at least one more day and sort of indicating that they're sticking onto that onto that time schedule and if Hamas says anything about rockets because um what's the situation is sort of similar to the jcpoa in which you know iran says the u.s has to drop all sanctions before um nuclear talks can continue and the u.s is saying iran has to uh, stop enriching uh uranium and going back to following the deal before we can talk about um sanctions relief so both side wants a different things to start um the end of the current conflict and when it comes to israel and palestine hamas is saying israel has to stop airstrikes and israel is saying that hamas has to stop rocket uh and mortar attacks um for a ceasefire to happen so you have this just a standoff saying that the other side has to move first um and it'll be interesting to see if you know one side indicates that they are going to make that that decision and the other wrinkle we talked about is, you know, that when Hamas does interact with Israel, it's not directly because Hamas doesn't recognize Israel as a legitimate state. And so having to use Egypt or Jordan as intermediaries only makes this whole process take longer. Um, and also might, you know, things might get lost in translation as well. And it's not going directly from one party to the next. So that could also have a sort of, a, that could be a headwind to negotiations for a ceasefire. Um, that end up getting us to some of those death thresholds or 
a rocket thresholds we might not have otherwise. Yep, I agree. Um, so you guys can find these five questions at metaculus.com. Uh, if you go to our website, globalguessing.com, and find this episode on our website, you can get a link to all those questions there. Uh, and it'd be great if you guys forecast them uh, and share your reasoning with us. Um, Andrew, anything else on these questions? Nothing on these questions. Just really interested to see what people have to say. We always miss some pretty cool signals. I'm hoping to learn something new on this forecast. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get get some feedback. All right, everyone. This was episode 13 of the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast and a very special volume 15 of Metaculous Mondays. Um, it's been a wonderful episode. You guys can find us on social media at Global Guessing and at GlobalGuessing.com where you can sign up to get email notifications whenever we post, which you should do. Uh, and with that, we will see you all this coming weekend for what we hope will be a very special 14th episode of the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast, but for a slightly different reason. All right. Thank you, everyone.